0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right. Yesterday, we spoke with someone from Protect and Preserve Webster's and Two's Falls. You, obviously, you know the, the ongoing discussion here in regard to Uh, the residents in around that area a little bothered by the not a little bothered a lot bothered by the surge in population to that area on the weekends because of course we have been promoting ourselves as the city of waterfalls and this certainly is one of the bigger nicer ones so at the end of the day are We Prepared to Be the City of Waterfalls? Uh, let's bring in Luke Lalonde, resident whose house uh, resides along Webster's Falls and has been unfortunately brought into this discussion just because of where he lives and is with us now. Hello, Luke. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much, Todd. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. So where is your property and how does all of this affect you?
1: Uh, our property is at the end of uh, Fallsview Road in uh, Greensville, so we're the only residential property linking Two's Falls and Webster's Falls. So um, the trail, part of the Bruce Trail, a large portion of the Bruce Trail uh, cuts, cuts across our front property.
0: Now, I'm sorry, you cut out there, cuts across your front property? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So our, our,
1: our, our home is on the escarpment, mm-hmm. and uh, we allow for the Bruce Trail to run along the escarpment.
0: Man, uh, this this must you're be the this must be the best residence in Hamilton.
1: Um, I mean, it's it's <laughs> the community is great. It's a beautiful community. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's just uh, really a gem for the city.
0: All right. So obviously, I said uh, this is a, a beautiful part of uh, of the city and a great place to have a home. So one would assume. But what are some of the problems that you're that you're uh, encountering?
1: Well, you know, after the the uh, we've hit many problems. Initially, you know, I expected certain problems when we purchased the property. We actually looked at the property on the Thanksgiving weekend. So there was a large number of people venturing, you know, in front of the home. You know, we expected the things like, which have happened, like picking trillions and people blocking your driveway and garbage. And, you know, we even expected people <laughs> urinating on the property, which we've had all of that. But then it's just, it's there are a lot of things that the, the general public don't see. Uh, you know, we have three... Uh, small children three seven year olds mm-hmm. and uh, you know we've had uh, people doing nude photo shoots in our backyard we've had uh, last year we had an intruder actually make their way into our home oh my, and they had to be removed from the property by the police while they actually were taken away and Once they started inspecting the bags, you know there were rubber gloves and caution tapes and and, and so a lot of this We've been trying to deal with. We've been trying with the Hamilton Current Conservation, the Bruce Trail, you know, and and it really. We tried not to make it a community problem. We tried to deal with a lot of the issues, uh, our own, with 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 the help of of the city and that. But it's just to a point um, that it's gotten out of hand since the uh, Hamilton Conservation has imposed the fee structure. Um, I don't think anybody anticipated this, but. What they've done is they've pushed the prop- problem down to our property. Um, mm-hmm. Most people don't want to pay, and the easiest getting around that is actually heading through our driveway, down our front patio, and onto the, onto the trail. So we've just, you know, on any given day last weekend, probably 30, 40 people right on our front deck. Um, so how it, close
0: are they to your house? How close are they to your, where, where well, you're living?
1: Oh, oh to, to our house 10 feet from the windows. You know, really? 15 feet, yeah, they, they, they walk between our vehicles. No. So it's in, it's, you know, and I was yeah. speaking to another neighbor, you know, there's families li- lifting their kids over the fence so that they don't have to pay. So it's, but what it's done is it's pushed it down to our property. Right. Um, Hamilton Conservation had agreed to supply us with, with security to try, try and help us control people getting through our property it's just it's a, it's a real nightmare because they're all over a front yard backyard on the deck and last weekend uh they didn't show up and when we tried to contact hamilton conservation to try and get some assistance there was no help to be had no security showed up saturday no security showed up sunday and it's just gotten to a point where we we can't even be leave the children outside um, without being supervised because there's people next to the kids. Yeah, and so it's 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 gotten to a point where uh, it's it's become actually a nightmare.
0: Do and, these people uh, have any sort of courtesy or any sort of consideration that they are invading your privacy the way they? There
1: are, are signs all over stating that it's you know private property and everything else. Um, Last year, uh, the community had uh, a meeting with our, our councillor, Robert Pesuda. Hamilton Conservation was present, Bruce Trail. And, and all of our neighbours were there and voicing their concerns. I even had a neighbour that had complained about people being on her property up on my front property because she didn't want to have to pay to get through the park. So it's, it's, it's really that bad. Um, at this meeting, you know, our, our councillor, uh, Robert Suda is also the chairman of Hamilton Conservation Authority. Mm. So, you know, at, at at that meeting, he had suggested that, that at, at a certain point, if things got out of hand, that he would actually step down yeah. as chair of the Hamilton Conservation uh, to try and deal with some of these issues. Um, but we we feel we're being left on, on our own to try and deal with this. And and I'm the weekends. I'm I'm talking thousands of people in in our front yard. I'm not talking you know, a couple hundred, we will actually be experiencing thousands. And the trail can't even accommodate the number of people.
0: So this problem got extremely worse once they started charging and people just started It started pushing the problem down to your property. People just are trying to avoid no, paying.
1: No, no, that's not it. It's a different problem. It brought on a new problem. We right. still, I mean, there's...
0: You would get it anyway. We,
1: we, we would get traffic, but now they're actually venturing off even closer to our home. We've always had the odd person at our home. Now we're getting loads of people right at the home off of the trail. And we also discovered that um, after the, the unfortunate death of the young girl at Tiffany Falls last year, we started uh, our the rider. We have a rider with um, uh, Bruce Trail, an insurance rider that states that we are covered um, um. for visitors on the trail. We only recently, after, after that incident, we started investigating further, and we found out that we are only covered if that person stays on the trail.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Everyone is actually off of the trail because the trail is not at the edge of the escarpment. They venture out onto our property to the edge of the escarpment, and we are completely liable. We have taken on, and so we have been working for a year to try and resolve this uh, with the city. Uh, we've had many meetings at City Hall and we just we just haven't moved forward, and and it's getting progressively worse and worse. What we're seeing, and we just we just can't take take on that liability.
0: Why why is this such a, a problem to solve? You know, we were we were talking to uh, um, protect and preserve Webster's and Two's Falls. They were suggesting having a loading zone down at Christie and either letting people walk up or take a shuttle right. that way. Why is this so difficult?
1: I'm 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 not. Ex- I'm not exactly sure. I think, first off, there, there has to be a willingness I, to really look at the entire situation. And I, I think no one expected things to grow this quickly.
0: But because clearly this is not only an aggravation to you and your family and the neighbors around you, but it's also destroying the trail.
1: Oh, the trail is, there's, the trail is totally destroyed. I mean, we have, we've been asking for them to actually replant some, some, uh, uh, some of the vegetation that's been lost. Because it 's completely bare, like yeah. there it is completely bare right to the edge of the escarpment, and not only that they're tramping trampling on our plants now when they're going down from our patio but uh, wow it's it's, 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 an, it's a nightmare, and I was concerned you know I, after we did this, we you know it was to the point where we were actually considering selling mm-hmm. because it's gotten to that point where we can't enjoy our, our property at all at all at all, and finally last week when we didn't have the support of the conserv- uh, conservation, we said, just close it down. We're, just, just close it down. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, and then we were approached by the spectator and they wanted to do a story and I thought, oh my God, we are going to have you know, such a backlash yeah. against us.
0: <laughs> Protesters and, on and, your but front I, lawn. But then
1: I, yeah, I felt that the backlash would be nothing compared to what we were currently going through.
0: Hmm.
1: And it was a, a risk that, that we thought we had no choice at this point. So you know, l- like,
0: let me ask you this: So this is a deal that you have let them, uh, meaning the conservation authority, uh, proceed with. So in other words, if you want this to stop, you can stop them from cutting through your property. Is that oh, correct? Oh yes,
1: yeah. It's it's, it's private property. Right. It's, it's it's private. It's no different than anybody else's home, right? Right. It's completely. It's it's all private property, and we've been trying. It's just shy of seven years. We've been there. And we've been trying to work things out, but I mean, the traffic is probably threefold since yeah. we purchased. Um, so,
0: does closing down this trail uh, on your property that that joins the two, does that? What does that do? Does that just shove it somewhere else? Do they just go in anyway? What, well, what what happens then?
1: Well, they're still cutting through. There's no, I you know, I'm hoping that by this weekend, Hamilton Conservation will come in and assist us because they've put like a six foot section of fence of wooden snow fence that's broken and um but i must say the police approached us yesterday they came and knocked on the door and they said we are here to help you i was just I, i've actually been blown away by the support by the community by the police um you know and i'm hoping now Hamilton conservation will help us
0: uh, well, deal
1: with some of this.
0: The interesting thing about this Luke is that th- this doesn't benefit anybody. I mean, it's not certainly not benefiting you, but you can't be, you know, put in the category of complaining homeowner because not only that, you're liable for this stuff. We are we are 100% liable, yeah. And, and not and, only and, that, yeah. there's no shortage of people being, you know, going over the falls or whatever and 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 ending up having to be rescued. So, I mean, like ex- this is an accident exactly waiting it. to happen.
1: It's exactly it. And, 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 I mean, there's always the accident. There's always someone slipping. They're, they're cutting down, trying to get down to the lower portion, to the gorge off the, the escarpment in front of our home. So it's, I mean, it's going to, and there's so many children just running free. Like, we don't allow our children on the trail. But yet these, people they don't realize the the, the dangers so um, can
0: so will closing this trail will that what will it be like there this weekend with the trail closed
1: well it, it's uh it, what's going to happen is it really doesn't affect the the, the visitors who want to see both right. um, i mean because it's a, a maybe slightly uh, a longer trek walking the short road and back up harvest road than right. it would be to take the trail it's about the same maybe slightly longer mhm uh, Short Road and, Harv- and Fallsview Road are a one-and-a-half car-width lane. There are no sidewalks. Yeah. At the, every weekend, we have a police manning the top of our road to try and control things, so we don't even get to go down our road without yeah. go, going through and, and stating we live there. La- there, there will be uh, probably three deep on either side walking down the road. And then traffic trying to get through the middle.
0: What's what do, wrote, what do you think the solution is here, Luke? Where how do you, where do you see this going?
1: Well, I had I had passed a lot of information on to to Chris uh, from Hamilton Conservation of yeah you know, park I recently visited in Australia that had very very similar situation. It was a gorge, too many people, a small community that lived at the the mouth of the park, and I've. I've sent all of the documentation and how they've resolved it, and they, and on their website it says, and it states there that they were having the exact same issues um, until we actually get a, uh, able to get a proper count of how many people are going through there. I've suggested Hamilton Conservation. There's a device that provincial parks and and national parks use in Canada that is just a slight little monitor that hooks onto a trees and it sends mm-hmm. counts off remotely. If you want to actually know what the volume is install one of these eight hundred dollars you have all the stats
0: nothing has been done that's
1: two years three years and they say well we don't know how many people are attending well it's there's there are solutions yeah, don't, don't and
0: and the thing is, is that you know, again, once we, you know, once again, it seems we have a, a situation of extremes. Either it's 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 like this, or it's nothing. And and I think everybody's missing out on opportunities here. Exactly. I mean, you, there's an opportunity to do this right and keep there, most people happy. Is there not?
1: Yeah, there there is, and and that's what this thing is. It it, it allows anybody the opportunity. They can register online or whatever order a ticket online or through their phone, say, I want to attend, and they have a limited number and a limited number of parking spaces, mm-hmm. and that's all the park can accommodate. Yeah, They, they don't want, they want to protect the, their parks in Australia. And I thought this was just a perfect, perfect uh, solution, and it would work so well and still maintain that part, portion of our trail open. The, we just don't have the partnerships we need. Uh, as, as residents, there to, to be able to, I don't have the confidence any longer in, in the Hamilton Conservation to be able to deal with the situation.
0: Uh, is anybody taking a leadership role? Is it the Hamilton Conservation Era, uh, Authority? I, uh,
1: I, 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 I don't know. I, I really don't know. I haven't really, there hasn't been a great line of communication. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, you know it's, it's hit and miss whether they return your calls. Um, you know, it's, there's no solutions. I don't see
0: any solutions. Um, so are we, are we equipped, do you think, Luke, to be the city of Waterfalls?
1: I think so. I think so. But I think it has to be done properly. I, th- I think it's, a, it's, it's fabulous. It's fabulous for the community. It's fabulous for visitors. We have a lot to offer. But uh, it has to be done for the right reasons, and that's you know to pr- protect the falls as well, allow the people to visit it, but have some controls. And I think it's all about controls. Um, you, it's it's more of a free for all now, um, and there's a lot of excuses why things can't be done. The park's too porous. The this this other communities do it. You know, we don't get a, We don't have a proper count. Well, there's ways of getting those counts.
0: Luke Lalonde has been with us, resident whose uh, house resides along Webster's Falls, and uh, of course has been encountering these problems uh, probably more than most. Luke, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thanks, and uh, thanks to the community as well for the support.
1: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show,
0: weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. All right, hot lanes, HOT lanes officially take effect. Uh, To use the hot lanes without facing a uh, $180 fine, you have to apply for a pass. How many applied? How long is it all going to go on for? And to find out more about this experiment, joining us now, Minister of Transport for the Province of Ontario, Stephen Del Duca, and he is with us now. Hello, uh, Mr. Del Duca. How are you today?
2: I'm great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for taking the time to join us. Explain to everybody what an HOT lane is.
2: So HOT lane is a high occupancy toll lane. We've taken as a pilot on the QEW about a 16-kilometer stretch uh, in Burlington and Oakville between Guelph Line and Trafalgar, which is currently an HOV lane, which many of your listeners would probably be familiar with. And we're converting that stretch to an HOT. And what that means is that if you're carpooling, Like has always been the case if you've got two or more people in the car you can continue to use that existing lane for free but if you want to drive alone in that lane you would have to uh, be you'd have to hold one of the permits that we put out the 500 permits that we've issued starting as of today Uh, you'd be uh, you would need that permit in order to drive alone in that particular lane i just want to stress for all your listeners scott that we haven't taken away any general purpose lanes and we're not requiring that people uh, have a permit. We're only requiring that they have a permit if they want to use that new H.O.T. lane while driving alone.
0: How hot are the uh, hot lane passes selling for? How well did they sell?
2: Well, you know, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how much interest there was. So for the first 500 that were, uh, that were released, we actually received uh, close to 3,500 people that applied for that first batch of 500, uh, which I think is good news. I think that sends a signal that people are interested in looking at new and creative ways for us to battle congestion here in the GTHA, uh, and this is the first time we've ever launched something like this in the province of Ontario. Other parts of North America have tried it. We're following closely what's taken place in Utah with a very similar approach, a pilot project over three or four years before a broader network of HOTs is built out. So I think it's, it's good news. I'm fond of saying it's, it's one more tool in the toolkit. For us to use collectively as it, re- as it relates to fighting congestion.
0: What will make it a success at the end of this test period? Uh, at what point will you say yay or nay? Well, so
2: we, we are committed to, a, to deploying a broader network of HOTs on other highways across the region. Uh, when I announced that we would be doing the QEW pilot, I said that the second wave of HOTs would be on Highway 427, and that will start in 2021 or thereabouts when the extension of 427 is built. Unlike the QEW pilot, which is basically a system where we release a permit or assign a permit that's attached to the vehicle so law enforcement can see it, what we'll deploy with the rest of the HOT network in months and years ahead, well, years ahead, uh, will be a, a, an elect, a, electronically told HOT system, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more sophisticated, and that's still in our plan. It's still a few years away, but that's still in our plan. I think from a success standpoint, there's a couple of things that I, I want us to be able to, to look at. One is uh, we're starting off with a system, as I mentioned, that's using that adhesive sticker. I think there's uh, p- tons of potential for some technological innovation to be, brought to, the, to be brought to this process over the next two, three, four years. So as part of launching this pilot, we've also done a request for what we call a request for information. We have a ton of homegrown Ontario technology, uh, innovative companies that has some really interesting ideas about how we can make these HOTs more dynamic, which is good news. So I'm hoping that will spur some interest some innovation and potentially some economic development. And secondly, I I want people who are uh, struggling like we all do in this region with congestion, with gridlock, to know that we have a government at Queen's Park that's committed to investing in transit, billions of dollars in transit and other infrastructure, but we're also creative. We're innovative because we know... We need to learn from best practices in, across North America and elsewhere to fight a challenge that's been getting worse over the last 20, 10, 5 years. We still have a long way to go, uh, but we're, we're willing to take some risks. We're willing to be innovative.
0: Uh, why only 500 released? Will, will there be more during the test period?
2: So we did announce that in we, we're looking at a total cap of about 1,000. We, we've we capped it, or for the time being, we're talking about 500 to start with because it, this is introducing a new initiative to the region, and we want to make sure people have a chance to adjust to that. Secondly, by capping at, at 1,000, because we're taking an existing HOV lane, and of all of our HOV lanes in the GTHA, this stretch of the QEW was the HOV that had... Uh, had the the largest amount of capacity for more vehicles to come into it before it gets clogged up itself. Mm-hmm. Last thing in the world we want to do is bring out 5,000 drivers from the general purpose lanes, put them into an HOV, have that HOV be as clogged as the general purpose lanes, which is then counterproductive because no one's going to want to use it, whether you're carpooling or you're driving alone. So we have capacity in this particular stretch of the HOV. We're using that capacity. We're going to continue to monitor through the ministry how it's playing out in terms of whether or not the 500 or ultimately the 1,000 are clogging up that HOV. If they're clogging it up too much, we'll look at sort of torquing it back a little bit. If they're not clogging it up too much, there's always the potential to release more. It was important for me for this entire process to be nimble and for us to be doing the observation and the analysis on an ongoing basis so that it doesn't just remain static and that we can adjust We can adjust the plan accordingly.
0: Uh, What about the cost? Will it go up? Proponents say that it's too cheap, that if you really want to make uh, this work, that you have to jack the price up.
2: Well, I mean, again, I think in in years to come when we're um, we're using HOTs that are um, fully electronic, as people might be more used to seeing as it relates to tolling of roads, generally speaking, that will allow us to use what's known as dynamic pricing, which is really interesting and exciting because depending on time of day, depending on volumes, uh, there are all kinds of, again, really exciting things you can do. I don't expect the price for the HOV pilot, sorry, HOT pilot on the QEW to change, I think, because it's the first time we've ever tried this and we want to make sure people can experience it. I think the price is set at the right place for now. But, again, we're going to continue to monitor, observe, and do analysis on all of these aspects, and we'll update if we need to uh, when we need to.
0: Uh, uh, as these continue on and as you, s- you start to expand this project, you know, I keep remembering back, and I'm sure you're getting this question a, a lot, Stephen, I-, I remember back when these were introduced, they were brought in to encourage p- uh, carpooling and to help save the environment. What happened to carpooling or saving the environment if we're letting people pay to get into them?
2: So there's a couple of things to keep in mind. The, the deployment of HOTs is, it's one Uh, It's one aspect of the broader initiative that we're undertaking with respect to fighting the gridlock challenge that we have in the region. None of what we're doing can be looked at in isolation. So, for example, at the same time as us deploying HOTs, we're investing upwards of a billion dollars in a new LRT for Hamilton. We're investing $13.5 billion over a decade to transform the GO system, two-way all-day electrified GO service at up to 15-minute intervals. Just two examples in the region of other things that we're doing. We're widening and expanding other highways for strategic reasons and for goods movement reasons, which is so important to our economy. So it's about the comprehensive transportation plan that we have across the region. That's number one. Number two, we still want people to carpool. We still want people to use the HOVs. But what we're recognizing is that if we can over time, not just on the QEW, but when we fully complete and deploy, the entire HOT network if we can find a way for a um, for an appropriate appropriately priced uh, or through an appropriately priced way to bring some vehicles out of the general purpose lanes for the people who remain in general purpose lanes it should improve their traffic flow as well that won't necessarily happen on day one or in month one because again we're talking about 500 permits to start with but the longer term plan when we have that full electronically told network across the region that's dynamically priced using technology, hopefully keeping costs down because of technological innovation, will be able to generate some revenue, we will be able to improve traffic flow across the region. And I think, I think listen, the people I speak to in my home community in, in Vaughan and people I hear from across the region, they want a government that's nimble. They want a government that's innovative and willing to be creative and take a few risks. And that's what we're doing.
0: Uh, what do you say to those that, the drivers that say, you know, you built something, you've taken something away now, and you've taken something away from us in order uh, to save the environment. Now you're charging us to use it.
2: But we're not taking anything away. So there's two things to remember. There's not a single general purpose lane that exists today that a person can drive in for free that we're taking away. You can still carpool in the HOV for free. We're not compelling anyone to participate in the HOT. It's simply there for those who want to consider trying, like the 3,400 or 3,500 who applied for the first batch of permits, like those first 500 permit holders. It's completely voluntary. It's not a requirement. And at the end of it all, when the entire network is deployed, if it's improving traffic flow in the existing HOTs and it's also improving traffic flow in the general purpose lanes and at the same time spurring technological innovation, maybe generating some revenue, I think it's a win-win. I know it's new. I know it's a brand new initiative. I know there's some concern. I'm willing to accept that people are uncomfortable in some respects with us going in this direction, but I really believe after a couple of years as Minister of Transportation in this province, we have to be willing to be bold and do some things that are a little bit outside our comfort zone. In order to solve the gridlock challenge, so that's what we're doing.
0: Is this, Stephen, about? Is the objective here to, to generate revenue? Is it to reduce the amount of vehicles that are on the road, or is it designed to increase traffic flow?
2: So, in the QEW pilots case, my my sense is that the the, gener, the revenue generation will be um, there. The primary purpose for the QEW pilots not revenue generation. It's a couple of things. One is introducing the concept to the region. That's number one. Number two. Because of that that request for information, that RFI that we released around what kind of technology out there that exists today, or might exist in a month or two or six, because the world of transportation planning, as it relates to technology, as it relates to the changes, the uh, the uh, the disruption that's happening, that stuff's changing every month, every quarter, every year. Uh, I want to make sure that we can take advantage if if the opportunity is there for us to take advantage of that, particularly. If the technology is Ontario-based, that would be, be a huge opportunity, I think, for us. And then lastly, uh, when we have the fully deployed network, particularly if we can use technology to keep infrastructure costs low, I believe in the mid to long term there will be revenue generation. But just to be clear, the QEW pilot is mostly about introducing this initiative and this concept to the region, getting drivers and other commuters used to it, uh, getting a sense by way of feedback and analysis of how it's playing out, and looking for uh, looking for opportunities through technological innovation uh, to enhance
0: how we deploy the rest of the network. Stephen, what's the biggest challenge implementing an HOT lane?
2: Well, the thing I've learned in the last couple of years, um, Scott, is that when you're when you're trying something new and you're trying something innovative, as strong as the desire is out there amongst uh, the the public for solutions to gridlock, we we have by and large in this region, I think, some very uh, and it's understandable. I've lived in the GTHA my whole life. Uh, we have some very ingrained um, senses or practices with respect to how we how we travel, how we move. Uh, and so it's always it's always one of those things where it's never easy for people to step outside what's always being comfortable. It's never um, necessarily easy for people to try something new. But I look at it and say, again, as someone who's lived in this region my whole life, we can't continue to do sa- the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. So we're going to be innovative. We're going to take some risks. We are absolutely going to continue to invest billions of dollars in public transit and in other critical transportation infrastructure to make sure that we're giving the people of Hamilton and the rest of the greater Toronto and Hamilton area and beyond a comprehensive solution, comprehensive opportunities so that they can choose to leave a car at home or they can hop into an H.O.T., or they they can take advantage of other technologies, automated, connected vehicles, in months and years to come. It's a really exciting time to serve as the Minister of Transportation in Ontario, but we can't afford to not be nimble.
0: Stephen Del Duca has been with us, Minister of Transportation, Province of Ontario. Stephen, thank you very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. How do you enforce this stuff? How difficult is it keeping people in the correct lane to talk more about all of this? OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt is with us and on the line with us now. Hello, Carrie. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. All right. So how difficult is it to uh, enforce HOV and now HOT lanes? How, does, how do you do that?
3: Well, it's pretty much the same, uh, HOV and HOT, in terms of our patrols and enforcement. The H O T. Obviously, if you have the uh, the permit on your vehicle, we can see that. We can run the license plate to make sure they are legitimately uh, acquired and they're the proper uh, permit. And uh, if you're found to have uh, a fraudulent or you're trying to cheat the system by a way, uh, you'll be charged with uh, you know uh, evading the pilot project, which is the uh, the pilot project offense. And those charges range from two hundred fifty dollars up to twenty five hundred dollars. Now, if you're in the HOV lane as a single occupant on your own, uh, it goes out saying already, if you're not in an exempted vehicle, you're going to be uh, subject to uh, to a charge, which is a $110 fine for violating the HOV lane.
0: So you brought something else up that I didn't realize that was going on. So there are people driving around with fraudulent stickers trying to use the lane that aren't authorized to do so.
3: Well, I, I don't know that there are. The, the project just uh, came into effect today. So this is the first uh, day that they're... Uh, mm that they're eligible, so now we're certainly going to be making sure that drivers are driving according to the rules, and the legislation, and uh, we're going to keep patrolling our highways like we do every day, uh, looking for uh, public safety issues, including distracted driving, aggressive driving, impaired drivers, but uh, part of our pr- patrols also include uh, making sure the HOV compliance is there.
0: How much, how big a problem is this? Do you have a lot of people that are using these lanes uh, incorrectly? Well, unfortunately,
3: it doesn't take long to find a violator. I know even this morning we were out uh, doing patrols, and just a few minutes into uh, our patrols, we get to find single operators, especially when traffic is is moving slowly. Like, during the midday and overnight hours, there's maybe not as much advantage because all the lanes are moving freely. But once you get some compression and some slowdowns of the, the regular travel lanes, that's where... People start uh, thinking they can take advantage of the system, and, and and obviously that's not permitted, and that's why we're out here doing our, our patrols and enforcement.
0: On this stretch of road uh, that this is all going to take place, uh, already an HOV lane there. Um, I've noticed issues, especially at the beginning and the end of these, when truck lanes are ending and, and HOV lanes are ending, it creating bottlenecks, and it seems that the cars are on the right side of the road, have to get to the left side of the road, and the cars on the left side of the road have to get to the right side of the road and such. Has this created any more challenge for drivers as far as, and have you seen an increase in accidents in any way regarding well, this?
3: Well, you know, one thing that we, that we we find, we do see collisions uh, from time to time with people trying to merge into the HOV lanes from a, a very slow speed or a dead stop into a, a lane where traffic is moving at a high speed. And, and that's one thing we still want to remind drivers that if you are going to be accessing these lanes, there are transition areas where you're required to to enter and exit. You know, you can't, cross over those double white solid lines uh, separating those lanes at any given place uh, because people are going at at full speed and and you're pulling in in front of them causing them to slam on their brakes so uh there are appropriate transition zones and if everyone uh, Drives accordingly and appropriately will certainly be able to manage and mitigate uh, a lot of those issues, but you know, the driver's understanding the rules of those lanes.
0: Are the HOV and HOT lanes permits uh, similar? Is it a sticker on the plate? How do you guys identify it?
3: Uh, well, there's no permit for the HOV lanes. That, all you have to have right, is a, you, yeah. two souls on board, so right. as long as you've got two people in there. The, uh, the permits themselves are, um, are, are stickers that we identify them with, and you stick them on the front of the windshield and on the back, uh, uh, windscreen as well, or windshield, and uh, we can see that. We can also run the license plate to make sure that they are validated and they're a part of that uh, vehicle's registration, and, uh, and then we're doing our patrols. We're looking for, for people that uh, are, are in there inappropriately and come over it. It, it doesn't take long to, uh, to find someone, and uh, all we have to do is uh, stop the vehicle and, and see that there's only one person in there, and, and they could be charged.
0: OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt has been with us talking about the first day of HOT lanes along the QEW. Kerry as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Stay safe. Sorry, my pleasure. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Interesting uh, interesting column in the uh, National Post today. It's entitled When oil turns, it will be with such lightning speed that it could upend the market uh... here we go again is this reality or just a slow news day Uh, The world's energy watchdog is warned that the global economy has become too dependent on crude oil, and our economy has been so dependent on gas that if it fell, it could create some concern. uh, Joining us to uh, talk more about this, Dan McTeague is with us, former Liberal MP, consumer affairs critic, analyst, GasBuddy.com to find out more. Dan is with us now. Good afternoon, Dan. How are you doing today?
3: (laughs) Busy and uh, always a topic of great interest, and obviously when it comes to everyone's bottom line, something we can't really ignore.
0: And I'm guessing whenever a column or something that suggests something like this comes out, you get your phone rings off the hook.
3: Yeah, it has all day and uh, it will continue going forward. About two weeks ago, I wrote in a Gas Buddy blog, the uh, number of producers that have exited the market uh, as a result of low prices uh, really leaves us in a circumstance where only one in every 20 barrels of oil that is being consumed is being replaced by new discoveries. So Although it's not an issue today, it probably won't be an issue in a month or even perhaps in a year, but at some point down the road, we're going to wind up with a shortage of oil um, and efficiencies and other uh, things that we thought might be uh, uh, able to, as it were, buttress the, the shortfall uh, will not be available. So ultimately we may be dealing with a shortage down the road later rather than sooner, um, but it does require uh, some understanding of how uh, the economics, poor economics today, led by, of course, Saudi Arabia and OPEC, who are driving the price to, you know, levels that really most cannot compete at, uh, is ultimately going to lead to much higher prices down the road.
0: When uh, This article suggests when it turns, it will be steep. Will it be, or will we not see this coming?
3: Well, I don't think it's going to... It's an article that's putting you know, some, some factors into play, including conjecture. And, and timing is everything. You know, you will always have... Uh, more than just the physical amount of crude, which, of course, is oversupplied right now, uh, you also have a, a, a body of speculators who, in fact, have a lot more to do on the futures markets, their own exchanges, if you will, uh, who might misinterpret, uh, as they did last week, a well, one-week uh, decrease in U.S. Uh, uh, oil uh, oil inventory, uh, sell by 14 million barrels, but that's only because ships couldn't drop off their load in uh, both the Gulf Coast and in that region uh, to uh, supply many of the refineries. Some speculators took that to mean the good times are back and that there's a shortage of oil. In fact, there's over a half billion, that's where the a B, barrels of crude that has no home just in the United States alone, globally probably closer to about 1.2 um, trillion barrels of oil sitting around with nowhere to go. So there is uh, you know, a, a concern that has to be you know, addressed uh, in terms of the difference between supply and demand reality and of course wishful thinking but if we see weeks of declines in production then it's fair and safe to say that those prices uh, could start to go up. I don't think they're going to happen for a while. I'm looking ahead at maybe three or four years, not three to four months.
0: Uh, we It wasn't that long ago, Dan, we were talking about, oh, is it going to go to 150 bucks a barrel, and then all of a sudden, uh, everybody started becoming, well, in North America, self-sufficient, and we are where we are, and it seemed, and I remember asking you this question, couldn't we see this coming with everybody starting to explore new ways? Uh, and, and, well, yeah. and and quickly that attitude changed. Will 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 we will be will we be caught the same way and not see this coming?
3: Well, I don't think we'll be caught quite the same way. Canada, of course, has to make a decision as to whether or not it wants to continue down this road of not uh, backing its most important uh, revenue uh, industry that is oil, and decide not to build pipelines and have a handful of loud voices continue to obstruct any type of. Deliberation, which I think, and I don't want to be unfair here, but uh, I don't believe in mob rule. I believe in the rule of law. And if someone has gone through the process of getting approvals for those pipelines, then they they should proceed. But that aside, I think what we're looking at right now uh, is many people have sort of, for two reasons. One thought, you know, renewables will take the way of uh, oil. Second, these uh, this oversupply will continue forever. Neither of those propositions are correct. Oil is still paramount. We use it for more than just transportation. It's pretty much permeates everything that we do, from the telephones we're speaking on to the television screens, to uh, you know the pharmaceuticals, to the cosmetics, et cetera. There's tens of thousands of applications for oil, and they will continue to grow in need as uh, as our population expands, and of course the dip, uh, the third world, of the undeveloped part of the world, continues to uh, begin to benefit from uh, you know uh, the uh, the use of those commodities.
0: Uh, Trudeau was on the news just even last night saying we have to get this stuff to market. Is this going to come to a head in the next year regarding pipelines and all and all everything attached to it?
1: It's going to
3: have to because it's uh, in the case of Energy East, it's a twenty billion dollar loss to uh, you know the economic uh, uh, picture in Canada, uh, and that's because we don't get a world price for our oil, uh, nor are we able to expand our industry to be able to sell to the world. Oil that they desperately want. By the way, yes, it's nice to talk about dirty oil. Uh, fact is, it's it's synthesized, it's it's upgraded, uh, and it fetches a far greater price. It's a barrel of oil is forty four dollars today. Synthetic crude out of Alberta is touching about forty nine. So uh, it's clean, it's used, it can refineries want it, both in in the United States as well as around the world. So you know, if we want to continue uh, to say no to the very important thing that keeps us uh, uh, moving as an economy, then by all means. We can, uh, we can continue to naval gaze and second-guess and try to figure out uh, you know, ways in which to dumb it down, but the rest of the world will continue to supply. Most of eastern Canada's oil, uh, right up to Montreal at least, is being supplied by foreign sources. It's unfortunate that uh, we don't put enough effort, uh, we don't have enough faith in our own system with an existing pipeline to get that kind of oil into Canadians' pockets and into their tanks.
0: Um, This article, again, speaks of how, uh, as the market is flooded, as you mentioned, by Saudi Arabia and others, that driving prices down, producers having to get out of this, doesn't this swing back almost just as fast, Dan? Well, it could.
3: Uh, United States uh, um, um, vertical horizontal uh, frackers, if you will, those who are involved with the light, tight oil uh, exploration have found that uh, the hundred and hundred dollars barrel that we had a few years ago incentivized them and created the uh, the impetus for them to create the new technologies to release that kind of oil. Uh, unfortunately, for a good number of them, they're going bankrupt. And uh, there is a large number of uh, suppliers, uh, producers, who will not be able to get back into business that quickly. And so, yeah, you can, you know, expect that Look, uh, higher prices will mean more people will get involved, but uh, frankly, a lot of people have exited the market already and may not have the economic wherewithal, let alone the capital, to get back into doing what they're doing, and that will only further the prospect of a shortage or supply crunch down the road. Uh, I don't think it's a question of if. It's really a question of when that supply crunch hits, and when it does, uh, you'll be happy to see the days of $100 a barrel. But... I don't think that's going to happen, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh,
0: this also goes on to say uh, a dramatic decline in new oil discoveries dropping to levels not seen in the last 60 years. There you go. Is that accurate? Is is, is can, can it be construed?
3: Yeah, I know. I wrote a blog. 3,000 people have already commented on September the 1st, addressing that very point. Um, for every you know, 20 years. Uh, barrels of oil that are being used today uh, for everything from jet fuel to diesel to gasoline. Uh, only one, maybe two, is actually being replaced by new discoveries. So it's not a problem, uh, uh, you know, a real present danger yet, but it does become a problem down the road as we go through the surplus, we go through the existing production, uh, and countries like Russia, Venezuela, um, Angola, uh, Nigeria are teetering on the brink of collapse. They even if they were to continue producing oil, their ability to take advantage of higher oil prices is dramatically limited by the uh, by the crises in every one of those nations. So we may not be in a situation to have swing producers come right back in and supply enough oil. Uh, also, of course, we have to bear in mind that um, you know there continues to be an increase year after year in demand for oil. Whether you know there's been a slowdown in uh, uh, in economic uh, fortunes for the world, the global economy continues to show a one million. Uh, barrel increase in uh, consumption every year. The capacity to supply that continues to be limited by the number of producers exiting the market and not coming back.
0: Is this what Saudi Arabia was hoping for? Is this why they were flooding the market? Yeah, I mean, they were clearly
3: of the view that uh, they had to hold on to defend market share. So uh, one let the price drop to on economic levels uh, and uh, you'll be able to uh, flood out the, uh, the new kids on the block um, that's why I think it's important for Canadians to recognize that the one kids on the block that they can't get rid of are the big, heavy oil producers in Canada. We have in-situ sites that will continue to produce for 20 and 30 years once the investments have been made, even if the price drops to $10 a barrel. That's the thing that keeps uh, Saudi oil producers up at night, because while they can tap the ground and pull out oil uh, in Canada, so can we. Unfortunately, we have a lot of naysayers and uh, people who can't see ahead of their uh, personal uh, interests. Uh, to get our oil to market. We can increase our capacity from three and a half, four million 4 million barrels a day to 5 and 6 if we had the pipelines to be able to deliver it to waiting markets.
0: Will we have the foresight to see exactly what you're talking about here and therefore making that pipeline even more and more important?
3: Well, I hope people understand that there's a relationship between revenue generation and what happens in places where we have been able to explore oil. On the East Coast, Newfoundland, uh, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, that supports our healthcare system it supports our social programs it supports our infrastructure and our and our way of life and while we have to be responsible in the way in which it's used i think at the same time uh... we uh... we tend to be uh... almost you know eerily focused on only one issue uh... oil equals climate change and uh... i would probably i'd rather be m- more certain about the economics of what we know works and that's in- an improved and strong oil uh... resource sector in canada uh, than uh, the debate that on- is ongoing about whether or not what Canada does is contributing to uh, to higher temperatures uh, globally. It's, uh, it's an important debate. It's one that has to happen. I think we have to be very responsible, but I think clearly the pendulum is only one area, and that's climate change. It should be also about the, sh- the-, the need to ensure that uh, the Canadian economy remains viable. We're looking at a real problem in Western Canada. It's now permeating the rest of the country. They're going into debt and deficit pretty much across Canada, with the exception of British Columbia. Um, it's important that we uh, reinvest in uh, our prime generator of revenue, and that is, of course, the oil industry. Let's get those pipelines built.
0: How long can prices stay low? Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, um, but, I mean, are we going to see any short-term change? Uh,
3: You know, I don't invest in oil. Uh, I don't have any kind of particular uh, uh, personal or uh, financial interest in any oil or gasoline futures. There are two markets involved. Obviously, when it comes to motorists, they're most concerned about diesel and gasoline prices, and sometimes the markets are not uh, in sync. Today would be a good example where oil might be going up a tiny bit, but gasoline is uh, shooting up as a result of different fundamentals. So uh, I I sense that uh, oil is going to remain pretty much where it is into 2017. Uh, Gasoline will be up and down, uh, hugging in in our area here in Hamilton and the GTA, and the GTHA, you know, between 90 cents and a uh, dollar 10 uh, between now and next year, uh, with the prices going up and down daily as they usually do to follow the markets. But right now, uh, no one is expecting you know, oil to rally dramatically. And as a result, I think for now, consumers can continue to uh, save a bit at the pumps. Uh,
0: heading into winter soon, natural gas, home heating oil, this sort of thing. What can homeowners expect?
3: I think with natural gas, uh, the price is as good as it gets. The U.S. continues to produce a lot of gas that is, uh, that has no market in Utica, Marcellus. Uh, ironically, the idea of the Energy East pipeline was that we didn't, we didn't have natural gas in eastern Canada, so we built a pipeline some 30 years ago to bring that from Alberta into Ontario. Um, we now get a, a good amount of our cheaper natural gas from the United States, from Pennsylvania, Virginia, uh even into Ohio, uh where the the sh- the large shale formation there has been able to bring prices down to two eighty, two ninety uh per M B T U. So I think what we're looking at is a continuation of no prices going up, no prices going down. Um of course uh on the more industrial side and on the more governmental side, uh the conversion of the United States away from coal plants into natural gas fired plants uh continues to, you know, augur well for the price of natural gas, but we're not going to go back to the days when it was 7 or $8 uh, or, you know, three times what we're paying today.
0: Uh, what about politically? And this is the last question. What about sure. politically, uh, you know, world stability, this sort of thing? Uh, it seems like we're living in uncertainty every day. Is there something that could happen politically to, to rock the boat?
3: Well, I think the biggest political problem faced, faced Ottawa and I think the provinces is uh uh, the conversion to greener energy and of course how we get there without disrupting the economy and more importantly throwing people out of work and creating the circumstance that we currently see in Ontario unfortunately where the prices are much higher and, and are unsustainable for most uh, beyond the political thing is of course the social reality that uh, uh, you know there's a very fragile relationship between ensuring that uh, the energy industry provides jobs while at the same time ensuring that we have a competitive uh, Framework for our energy, so we don't lose jobs in the United States or see a uh, you know a flight of capital and a flight of the manufacturing leaving uh, our jurisdiction. So for the federal government, uh, they're going to have to intervene, whether they like it or not, in the energy east uh, and the pipelines debate. Right now, it seems to be very one sided. Those opposed, the loudest voices seem to be getting and prevailing at the expense of the Canadian economy.
0: What about your thoughts provincially? Uh, obviously, Premier Wynn getting heat this week, finally realizing that people are a little cranky over their electricity bills. Cap and trade is on the way.
3: Well, it is, and it's going to cost you about four and a half cents a liter, or about another $130, $140 a year, just on gasoline alone. I'm not referring here, of course, to diesel costs going even higher. Diesel will be more like six cents, five and a half cents a, a liter. That will show up in pretty much everything we do uh, because uh, diesel is important uh, both for agriculture, mining, and of course the uh, transportation of goods and services. So I would suspect that uh, the cost of living is going to take uh, a rather dramatic jump. Uh, I just hope that what we are doing is not going to have the unintended effect of, uh, of uh, impoverishing um, Ontarians at the same time, diminishing our competitiveness uh, with uh, questionable results. The cap and trade, in my view, is not the way to go. I would have gone with a carbon tax as we do in British Columbia mostly because uh, I think the returns are going to be pretty uh, pretty small for the uh, Ontario government, and it's not going to be able to use the big pot of money that they think they might be able to get to improve infrastructure. So it may be a double whammy. Um, I think they may have uh, need to go back and uh, to the drawing board and uh, figure this out again.
0: Dan McTaggisman with us, former Liberal MPP and consumer affairs critic, analyst, gasbuddy.com to find out more. Dan, as always, thanks very much for the time. Much appreciated.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. The Scott
0: Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900
3: CHML.